0: where do you start sorry (laughs) i grew up in northern virginia uh but i've been living in baltimore for almost 18 years Um, i'm a visual artist Uh, i do both photography and mixed media and i'm also a writer Uh, so storytelling is very (laughs) much foundational in everything i do what brought me to baltimore uh, is actually fairly complicated. I um, am a person with a rare disease. Um, I have metastatic fibrosarcona, which is a rare cancer of the connective tissues. And honestly, part of what brought me here was Johns Hopkins, because it was the closest sarcona specialist (laughs) um, to Virginia where I'd grown up. Um, And I've, I've had this disease Uh, all my life diagnosed at age 14. Um, But also uh, as a creative person, I knew there was this tremendous artist community here, you know, arts community, and um, that was also the deciding factor (laughs) to move here. My art is very much advocacy based, both with um, my illness, um, the after effects of my illness especially facial difference. I talk about that a lot and address that a lot in my artwork. Uh, But also there's this whole other component. (laughs) And I've been through so much in terms of like 30 surgeries, years of chemotherapy and radiation and experimental drug treatments. And the thing that got me through that was paying attention to and learning as much as I could about birds (laughs) so what got me through the pain and the discomfort uh pulling myself up off the couch getting outside and just learning to identify birds through both how they look how they sound and their behavior and so there's this whole component like to my the other advocacy part of my art is that you know i was out there you know in green space with birds. And I realized each year there are fewer of them. And so I became involved uh, with a conservation group here in the city, Lights Out Baltimore. We um, addressed the third collision with glass issue, which is a leading cause of bird mortality. I mean, it's horrible. A billion birds are dying each year in the United States. I started out as a volunteer with Lights Out Baltimore uh, just monitoring glass collisions downtown. Um, but then I started doing outreach, talking to school groups, mentoring school groups, uh, actually like mentoring groups like Lego League and um, partnering with Patterson Autodon, giving talks, uh, whoever would listen. <laughs> and in the midst of all that, I also started taking photographs of the birds that we found what we have to do with Lights Out Baltimore is collect data and that data is used by scientists nationwide. Uh, we do find, I mean the sad part of it is that we find a lot of dead birds during migration because songbirds migrate at night, the light pollution downtown pulls them into these dangerous human environments full of glass which when they kind of you know wake up in the morning and they're hungry what do they see? A tree that it's not really a tree, it's a reflection of the tree in glass and boom. So we we find a lot of dead birds, we collect the dead birds, they go home to the freezer Uh, at the end of migration. We um, have an inventory and then we donate the birds to the Smithsonian Natural History Museum where like hundreds of scientists use the data from these birds and But there was also this emotional component (laughs) of finding these birds. Um, It's actually, it's kind of hard to do. (laughs) You know, there's an after effect. I mean, when you're doing the monitoring, like you're all business, you have a job to do. But afterwards, you know, there's this sadness. And I started taking photographs of the birds. What I like to kind of tie into memorial photography. Um, it was a way, you know, in memorial photography back in the day, a hundred years ago and more. like people would take photographs of their deceased loved ones. And thirds and for me were certainly loved ones. It was a way to honor them. Um, and to me, it, it wasn't like, it wasn't a morbid <laughs> um sort of interaction because thirds, even in death, they're just so incredibly beautiful. And fascinating. I mean, you get to see them close up in a way that you don't normally do. And you see this intricacy of feathers with thards and thardules and, you know, that's where we get Velcro. <laughs> you know, it's 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 fascinating that but, but it told a story, these photographs, um, it, of everything I've just been talking about in terms of, you know, how we're losing birds, what's causing this loss in birds and, um, can we please do something about it by treating windows and making our buildings safer for birds? Um, and so that's been a huge part of everything I've I've done in the last seven years. Um, those photographs led to winning the Baker Prize in 2013, and at that point, um, you know, every day, at that point the Baker Prize winners were getting exhibitions at the Baltimore Museum of Art. And and I got a huge response from people. Um, I mean, every, so many of the viewers were like, wow, we had no idea that this was happening. And, and so at that point, you know, a little light bulb goes off and it's like, why should it just be me talking about this? <laughs> and, you know, I just reached out to the arts community and um, suddenly we had an exhibition, you know, um, uh, a collective exhibition of a number of artists addressing the birds collision issue. Um, Laura Anderson uh, gave us a show up at Goucher and it just it just started to to build. <laughs> you know, at that point there was maybe 16 people. Um, and then, you know, I did a couple solo sh- shows here and there, um, did a show at George Mason University until finally, like it had really built, you know, all of this—the artists doing work, uh, the outreach—just all kind of culminated, <laughs> and and I was like, I really want to do something huge, <laughs> and um, I'd been talking to some friends of mine uh, at Subnursive Productions, and they had just been wrapping at the HT Darling. Um, and they're like, well, there's a space <laughs> and it's the peel. And, um, you know, I immediately sort of delved into like learning all about it. At that point, um, it had only been, it, it had been mostly unused for 20 years. And it was um, Abigail DeVille had had a show and it, The Signers of Productions had had a, had a show. And I approached Gin Dilts. Um, without having a show. And um, he was immediately responsive. And this was concurrently happening with the hiring of Nancy Proctor, (laughs) um, who like immediately came on board. And suddenly we had um, 30 artists, plus like a lot of the workshopping I'd done with the Baltimore Lad School and NAICS Studio, um, a studio with artists with disabilities. Uh, close to my heart because I am an artist with disabilities um, and So from those workshops Art was generated and we included that in the show. So, um, it was just bringing together almost of like everything I touched <laughs> in terms of um, Because it was about thirds, you know, thirds, disability um, supporting local arts community um, and using this incredible historic space which was perfect for our particular show about third conservation because I mean in, in the beginning you know the teal was both exhibitioning, in exhibitioning natural wonders and art <laughs> and we had both so yeah <laughs> way anyway, it was like a culmination of all of my efforts in, in terms of third conservation, um, supporting local artists and regional artists. And we even reached out a little bit beyond that. Um, education in, in terms of like the outreach we'd done in schools, um, including artists with disabilities, which is close to my heart. And suddenly like having this space available that had this history that was so closely linked in terms of our intentions of sharing knowledge of the natural world and um you know exhibiting art it was it was just like it was perfect <laughs> it was absolutely just this perfect coming together of history um, sort of honoring that part of its history. <laughs> and bringing to, you know, building a community around it. <laughs> yeah. These connections we had with, you know, schools, even girl scouts that, that came in the green leaders at Patterson Park Auditon, coming in all coming in for special talks and walks. It, it was a little more, it was more general than just third collisions. It was about third conservation and the loss of birds and extinction. Um, and, You know, each artist had their own uh, contribution to the theme. Um, We had anyone from doing like building native gardening in the back, and we had this we had this really great cleanup day. Let's clean up the back garden at the Peel. (laughs) We just pulled hauled out trash and pulled the weeds, and um, Ashley Kidner put in native plants and. Um, nesting structures. It was it was really awesome. <laughs> we had Laurel Dugoule talking about the symbiotic relationships between birds and other species. So you know we touched on how important you know or revealed how ecosystems work, and how how we need birds and all the roles birds play within ecosystems in terms of like life supporting structure of all life, including us, <laughs> you know, and um so within Birdland and the Anthropocene, um, you know, the anth- Anthropocene is what's generally being referred to as this new geologic era of which humans have so affected um Earth <laughs> that we can only talk about all natural systems as how they've been affected by humans. Um, I, um, my work uh, in this particular, I'm sorry, my work in third and in, in the Anthropocene was actually about um, another aspect of my uh, work, which is counting third populations and doing third population surveys. Uh, Right now we're doing, we're engaged in a five-year long breeding bird um, atlas, I'm sorry, right now we're engaged in the breeding bird atlas for five years here in Maryland. But it's it's something that I and a lot of other birders do is we just go out and count birds (laughs) in all of our local patches. And one thing I do is I submit that work to the Cornell Lab of Ornithology through EGIRD and I like to use photo documentation so <clears throat> I have hundreds of hundreds and hundreds probably thousands of third photographs and what I've been finding over the years is that I'm going into these local patches or local parks and, and whatnot and just seeing and hearing less thirds so what I did was I took a number of these photographs, these documentation photographs, and literally removed the third from the photos, leaving, you know, an absent white space, and then did a whole grid, (laughs) like a huge grid. Um, And then I did cutouts of those shapes so that they became little drifting ghosts on the floor. (laughs) <laughs> um, just to kind of highlight terrible loss in bird population that we're undergoing right now for any number of reasons, you know, the habitat loss, bird collisions, outdoor cats, um, pesticides, trawling. Yeah, <laughs> there are a lot of reasons birds are disappearing. Um, when I give talks, I talk a lot about just how in all of human history, birds have always been there. <laughs> and they're, they tremendously influence us in both our culture and science. Um, I mean, you can't think of literature or music or art without it being full, or music without it being full of bird song. And I mean, whether it's like, Robbie Day's Rock and Robin, <laughs> or, you know, like Messiah or n- another of any composers whose work has been influenced by third song. Um, King, imagine a silent wor- world. I mean, you know, think of Rachel Car- Carson and just, you know, silence going. And um, to me, that's horrifying. <laughs> and, um, but thirds are so important. And, you know, and I think I've mentioned roles in in, in within our ecosystem, like pollination, um, pest control. I mean, they eat insects that would destroy our crops. Um, think of the Great Famine in, in China when they thought the the sparrows were eating the grain, and um, so they killed all the sparrows, only to realize, oops, it wasn't the sparrows. The sparrows were actually eating the bugs that were eating the grain, and so many lives, lives were lost. They disperse seeds. I mean, you know, they they eat the fruits of of our plants and generate forests. Um, They have all these incredibly important roles that are necessary to life systems. Another incredible story is like what happened with vultures in India. They were giving a certain antibiotic to cattle and then when the cattle were dying and the vultures were cleaning out the carcasses, it was poisonous to them and the population plummeted 95% or more in terms of vultures. And suddenly you had this incredible rise in disease and tens of thousands of people lost their lives. So, you know, these these roles that birds and, and other animals play within the life system of earth are essential. But here's the thing about Baltimore. Like, you know, we live in an urban environment, although we have a lot of large green spaces and those green spaces, you know, in our parks, whether it's Patterson Park, Druid Hill, Le- uh, Lincoln, like it's, are essential to birds. Birds are, li- so many birds are migratory and our city sits on a migratory pathway. And every spring and fall, we get millions of birds flying over Baltimore. And so it does not become problematic when we have all of this light pollution, I think, um, you know, as, as I like to explain, uh, a lot of songbirds, some shorebirds migrate at night. And there's a reason that they do that. They navigate by the stars, among other things. Like they also use um, landmarks, just like humans do, <laughs> you know, shorelines. Um, you know, they're, they're flying up the Atlantic coast. Into the Chesapeake, right at the river, and snack into Baltimore. And, and what do they find? All of this light pollution. So that's confusing to them. You know, they're looking for constellations that this now all of this light is throwing them off. That there's some attracting quality to the light that we still don't understand. So the light pollution pulls them into this human environment full of glass. <laughs> that's going to kill them. So Why should you care? Because these migrants are using these ancient pathways that we've built our, migratory pathways that we've built our cities along and thereby endangering them. So we need to turn off non-essential light. I mean, sure, I mean, some people, although there's some debate about safety lighting, however, you know, there is security lighting and that's fine but what we should do is downshield it so it isn't threading up and creating this a sky glow and that's what should be happening to all frankly all of our street lighting <laughs> and and building lighting um with lights out baltimore it's been pretty incredible i mean we've had some response with building de- buildings downtown during migration the convention center the visitor center uh 100 light seat street, the Transamerica building, you know, National Aquarium, turning out, you know, key lights, you know, non-essential lights, or making the lights safer. It's bright white light or yellow light that is dangerous to birds that really pulls them in. If you're using colors, or, and maybe blinking them on and off or or rotating them, fading them in and out. That's a lot safer for birds. So maybe you've seen the Transamerica building with their colored lights that fade in and out. Yeah, that's very helpful. (laughs) As far as making Baltimore safe, um, you know, we we still have a long way to go. Um, What's generally unknown about buildings is that it's it's not skyscrapers. <laughs> the danger zone for birds in buildings is the ground up to about forty feet or sixty feet, because the danger zone is the reflection of trees, and that's the average height of a landscaping tree. Um, so, if we could just make our buildings safe within that zone, you know, have some sort of visual something visual on the, the glass that the birds can read we would say so many of them and and that's true for houses too i mean frankly you might have a long window in your home something that's reflecting you know particularly reflecting your shrubs or your trees um and and it's just a matter of using any number of solutions that are out there now. There there are more solutions all the time in terms of third safe glass or window film or simply hanging like a string or like a usually a parachute cord is very has a, a good heft to it uh, that's four inches apart. Humans love their view <laughs> and they want this vast glass window to incorporate as much of the outdoor world know, because it's beautiful, you know, as possible. Um, But, you know, if you're fairly low to the ground, and um, especially, you know, if, if your windows are reflecting this, you know, vegetation, um, even if you're just willing to do this during migration, or, you know, part of the year, Uh, during breeding season when some birds get agitated and think they need to attack their reflection in the window. I mean, cardinals are notorious for that. Um, It's helpful. I mean, just even using a bar of soap and and marking the glass or draw a picture with it. (laughs) You know, there's so many creative ways that um, you can make glass safe um, at at crucial times. So just to just a side note here, like I mean, I, I sort of talked um about how art was essential. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean art literally saved my life. And like when I was going through chemotherapy or radiation or having these experimental drug treatments, um, the worst thing you can do is just lie on the couch and deteriorate. <laughs> so when I was pulled into like you know, learning about birds, which started off this whole incredible um process of sharing that knowledge through art. Um that's what's kept me going, frankly. <laughs> you know, I've had cancer now for 39 years. Uh you know, that's when I was diagnosed as a kid. And um whew <laughs> Yeah, I, um if, without either the natural world or my artistic and creative engagement with it. And I think I just would have curled up and died. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's giving me a way to refocus, engage, have meaning. And and there's so much to that because there's this community engagement in every aspect of that, that, also just props me up <laughs> frankly yeah <laughs> oh gosh i live in charles village uh kind of lower charles village and patches that are close to me that i have a very special relationship with because that's where i tend to go uh, and spend most of my time are places like and park lower stony run um druid hill park herring run patterson park uh, I mean, sometimes I do go a little farther, like up to Cromwell Valley or the reservoirs. Um, I love North Point. The Black Marsh is just really dirty. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but sometimes it's funny, you know, birds can pull you into really interesting places and stories. Um, either, uh, which is the website I was talking about with Cornell of Ornithology. it's where so many birders post their sightings, you know, constantly. (laughs) And it has really easy search tools. Um, You can find out any species of bird and where they were at any given time. (laughs) And sometimes you just want to go find something like, yeah, I want to see that stilt (laughs) sandpiper, you know? But it's it's funny because birds show up everywhere. (laughs) It's not just a pretty green space. I mean, it might be the alley behind the house. There were some American kestrels that were breeding there a couple of years ago. Um, it might be a wastewater, you know, treatment plant. <laughs> you know, it's when you love birds, you go where they are. There's a really funny story. Like my brother lived in Hawaii for a few years, and I got to go up to visit them once for, and I decided if I'm going to go that far, I'm going to stay a while. So I stayed for a few weeks and, um, he was working on this really important project for clean energy. And, um, so when I got there, um, they asked me, so what do you want to do? Here I am, beautiful Hawaii. And I'm like, I want to go to the wastewater treatment plant. <laughs> I think there's this really cool third there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and everyone's like, OK. <laughs> but you know, you love thirds, you yeah, you go where they are. But it, it's been really interesting, I think, being a monitor for Lights Out Baltimore. How we monitor is we get up really early in the morning, <laughs> too early, <laughs> painfully early, and we um, we meet a partner downtown at 5 a.m. and we walk five miles around the Inner Harbor. So I think it's it becomes really interesting, like who you meet at 5 a.m. in downtown Baltimore. <laughs> like you re- you meet the and talk to the security guards. Um, people cleaning up trash um you know maybe a few people by the end of the walk which is usually roughly two hours people are starting to go to work um and what i love is like that there are people within these groups who you know love birds too (laughs) you know so many people love birds i mean i think like a third of the population of the united states count themselves as bird watchers you know we're talking about over 100 million people so the security guards at the convention center and they can get really concerned because they often find birds you know in in the routine of their job and and they're like what do I do? Or I've got this injured bird over here, or, you know, it's like help, (laughs) you know, it's like, and it's, it's just really wonderful making those connections. The other, another important aspect of what we do with lights Out Baltimore is rescue (laughs) because one in three thirds that we find is injured. So what do you know about this injury? We know that the bird flew straight into a window head first. It's a head injury. And the, the, best chance they have at survival is to get them to a wildlife rehabilitator. And we have a couple partnerships that mostly we work with Phoenix Wildlife Center, Kathy Woods, the amazing Kathy Woods, who's been called the Florence Nightingale of wildlife rehabilitators. And um, if you treat uh, a bird with a head injury with a nonsteroidal anti-inflammatory, you get the brains falling down. And we had this incredible rate of like 98% um, recovery from birds we got to her. You know, um, that's been the trend these last few years. And then they can be released and go on their way. Yeah, it's incredible. We also find bats. (laughs) Yeah, we also have rescued quite a few bats. Um, They don't read vertical surfaces like uh, some of these are buildings. Um, It's very disorienting to their sonar. And... um, maybe we're finding someone who's um, cleaning up the sidewalk downtown. There's this one man in particular um, who would find the, the dead birds in front of some of these glass front, fronted buildings, and then very carefully and respectfully place them uh, under a in a planter, yeah, under a bush. And um, so we had, had this relationship with him where we would see, an, you know, mornings and, you know, e- exchange greetings and um, wish him a good day. And he would tell us what he found and where he put them and we would collect them. And um, yeah. So one thing that's interesting is that we put injured birds in paper bags. You know, we put a little paper towel at the bottom of the bag so they can grip. Okay. And the reason they're in a paper bag is that, you know, you can breathe. You can Uh breathe in a paper bag. And so we're walking around Baltimore early in the morning with like lunch bags. (laughs) And, you know, you just, it, it, um, people become curious, (laughs) they're like, what you got in there for me? What's for lunch? (laughs) And that usually leads into a really funny conversation. Well, I don't know, do you want oven bird? (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah. Um, So the activism that we do like this uh, is something that prompts conversation that leads to awareness and it's just, Another important component of what we do in Lights Out Baltimore. My hope for Baltimore in 2050 is that we had bird-safe buildings and lighting. Um, And obviously for it to be full of art, (laughs) even more so than it is now. (laughs) But for it to be um, safe uh, for birds and other wildlife, but also that we had somehow transformed the inner harbor uh, into um, habitat for wildlife in a safe way. You know, it's already been started a little bit with like the National Aquarium in their little patch, sort of um, experimental patches of grasses. But That's something that would filter and clean the water. (laughs) It's something that you know, could bring us into the water. I know there's been some talk of like swimming in the inner harbor. Well, this could actually help with that. Um, That's what the grasses and native plants do, is filter (laughs) water. Um, And also just that it creates habitat for birds and other wildlife. It just becomes this beautiful, and this beautiful relationship, the true one of how we live in the world, with other species, um, is, is then implemented. Yeah.